house to lead in worship. Joseph, are you getting a signal back there? Yeah. You might want to turn it up on channel, I think it's 12, I don't know. Or I could just look down the whole time, but I'd rather not. <laughs> hey, it's great to be back uh, here on Wednesday night. It's been a long time since I've been able to, to see you guys on a Wednesday night. You might want to come down a little bit, that's probably going to feedback pretty soon. Um, yeah, this, this past weekend, you may have noticed that uh, there's probably a lot of empty seats in this section. It's because, uh, because we had uh, our spring retreat, which is a statewide retreat that we have with Chi Alpha. Um, <clears throat> we had an awesome time. God did some incredible things. And guys, God is, is just across the board doing incredible things in these students' lives. Uh, we had four of them were baptized in the Holy Spirit, four of our students. Uh, and then the next day, two of them were baptized in water. Uh, and one of them I have a picture of, um, his name is Ian. Uh, and for those of you who are in the, who are in, uh, the adult Sunday school class, uh, may have heard part of Ian's story, but I want to share uh, his whole story with you guys. Um, so years and years ago, Ian uh, fell into a drug addiction uh, when he was a teenager and started off with marijuana, some prescription pills, and uh, and quickly escalated to the point to where month, I'm, I'm just talking about like several months ago, he's in his dorm room on campus doing acid with his roommates. So it's just escalated to, uh, to a point of severe drug addiction. <clears throat> well, uh, over Christmas break, uh, he, was, he was sitting there just kind of thinking, and he said that uh, it dawned on him that as much as he is invested in these drugs, he wasn't finding any fulfillment, any purpose, anything that he thought he would find in those things, in that addiction. And it dawned on him that there must be something more than this. And I believe I know what it is, that is God. And he said, just on his own, he surrendered his life to God. He prayed out to God that he had never prayed to before. And he said, God, I want help. I need you to save me. And God did. And so, uh, his next prayer was, God, I have no idea how to do this. <laughs> I want to follow you, but I don't know how. And he prayed, God, would you send somebody to teach me how to follow you? And one of our students, um, Theo, ran into Ian on campus one day and said, hey, I want to invite you to this, this small group that we have where all the guys get together. And it's kind of like a Bible study, but it's more like a family. And we're all learning how to pursue after God together. And he says, man, that's an answer to prayer. That's exactly what I've been asking for. So he came to D group, and, and since then has just become a brother to all of the guys. Well, he came to spring retreat, and <clears throat> during worship, God showed up in Ian's life in a very powerful way, um, where we were all worshiping together, and Ian was there in the front. And, and keep in mind, Ian has never been to church. I think TFA might have been his first church experience, uh, for all I know. He didn't grow up in church, so... Um, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't know anything about order or etiquette or anything like that, okay? All he knows is he loves God, this God who has saved him, and he's going to express it. And if I had to describe Ian in two words, it would be raw passion, just complete raw passion. Uh, so 
he's up there in the front, and he's, he's not just like worshiping, like he is prostrate on the ground, cry, like literally bawling, but just crying out to God. And, and it was so extreme that some of the other directors were coming to me and saying, hey man, is, is this normal? Like, is this okay? <laughs> um, because, and, and like even some of the girls, the other students were kind of scared, like from uh, other universities. They were like, this is kind of freaking me out. And so some of the directors were saying, is this, is this normal behavior? I said, well, if, if you have been so radically saved the way Ian has, what else would you expect other than an extreme response? And so that night I, I was talking to Ian and I said, man, like what the Bible says is that you need to be baptized and make, this, make what has happened inside of you public and declare it to everybody that you, your old self has died and you're going to walk in this new creation. And he said, great, I've never even heard of that, but that sounds fun. So uh, <laughs> he said, when can we do that? And I said, we can do it tomorrow morning. And, and during the teaching, he had heard about the Holy Spirit. And, he's, and he was just saying, man, that sound, and it was almost like he forgot I was there. And just as, like, he's looking at me and he's talking, and then slowly he just starts looking up and praying. He's saying, God, I want that. I want more of you. I want all that I can have of you. And I want to be baptized in your Holy Spirit. So that night we prayed, and he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then the next, next day, uh, he was baptized. Since then, which we've only been back a few days, Ian has completely transformed. Uh, he still is full of raw passion. If anything, he is more filled with raw passion. Uh, yesterday, he was walking across campus, University of Alabama. And as he's walking, um, he's, he's just remembering everything that God has done in his life recently. And he's just, again, just so full of the presence of God that the, all he wants to do is just lay prostrate before the Lord. So he does. In the middle of the day, in the middle of campus, in the middle of a sidewalk, in between classes, if you've ever been on campus in between classes, it's like cattle just herding everywhere. He lays down on the sidewalk prostrate before the Lord. And uh, he decides, okay, I've laid here long enough. And he gets back up and he goes to the, the library to study, which is where he was going. Goes into one of the uh, study rooms. And he's sitting there, a couple minutes pass, and then the university police knock on the door. <laughs> so he opens it, he says, is everything okay? They said, well, we've got some calls about this kid with dreadlocks uh, who was passed out on the sidewalk and, and behaving very strangely. And so uh, we're here to give you a sobriety test. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> that reminds me so much of Acts chapter 2, does it not? Like, when the Holy Spirit comes and, and people, like the disciples begin speaking in tongues and, and other languages, and everyone else who's standing around is like, man, this is weird. The only explanation is maybe they've had too much to drink. To which Peter says, it's only 10 in the morning, <laughs> which I think is the best response. But, um, but what is happening is Ian's behavior is so extreme that not even just... Uh, in a secular setting, like the campus, is it seen as strange and odd? But even even in a worship setting with his family, people are like, oh, "Man, is that is that normal? That's kind of kind of weird, kind of strange." But the thing is, the kingdom of God is not supposed to look normal, right? 
I, you guys may have heard this before, but um, the kingdom of God is often described as an upside-down kingdom. Have y'all heard that? <clears throat> really, all that's saying is what's normal in the kingdom of God is in direct contrast to what's normal in our culture, in the world, right? So Jesus says all of these things, like uh, he who chooses to save his life will lose it, but if you lose your life, for my sake, you'll find it or you'll save it. Uh, in the world, the first will be first and the last will be last. That makes sense. Within the kingdom of God, the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus says things like, Give and it will be given to you. That doesn't really make sense. So if I want to have, I need to give. Um, he says other things like, you've heard it said eye for eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, if someone strikes you on the face, turn the other cheek. Uh, I don't know. If, if you strike me on the face, I'm going to hit you back. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's normal within our culture, right? And no one would say anything about it. They'd be like, oh, well, he hit him first and he just hit him back. So, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, he goes on to say that, that you must love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you, to forgive those who hurt you, right? Forgive as you've been forgiven. All of this stuff that is true within the kingdom of God stands in complete contrast to the things that are normal within our society. So when I hear stories of a student falling prostrate on the ground in the middle of campus and people think he's drunk, like, okay, maybe, maybe we do need to talk about you know, order and things that Paul also mentions to the uh, Corinthian church about distractions and whatnot. But, but you know what? I would rather, if I'm going to err, I'd rather do it on the side of being a little radical and a little weird than, than conforming to what is normal within our society. Um, Jesus dealt with this all the time. And, and what I want to ask you guys tonight, what I want all of us to consider is this question. Is our normal God's normal? Okay, so I want us to look in the book of Mark. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark. We're going to look in chapter 5. <clears throat> Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> it says, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Question, is this normal behavior for a human being? <laughs> Not at all, right? This is, that's, you, don't, you don't behave like that in society, okay? Uh, which is probably why he lived in the cemetery by himself. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted up at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd 
about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. <clears throat> okay, just pause there for a second. It's easy to read some of these, uh, these historical stories in the Bible, right? And, and just kind of glaze through everything and go on to the next chapter. But I want, I want us just to pause for a second and imagine in your neighborhood where you live, where you raise your children, where they play in the yard and everything, there lives a man who is so insane that he is completely nude all the time. He lives in the cemeteries. He cuts himself with, stone, with stones. You try to chain him up and bind him, and he, he has a supernatural strength that allows him to break through all of these chains, to roam free through your community. At night, he's just howling and crying out at night. Okay? So imagine this type of person living in your neighborhood. And, and just a side story. When I was growing up, <laughs> there was this woman who lived at the end of our road. Uh, her, we called her Cardinal Woman because one time she told, her, told us that her Indian name was Redbird. And so uh, we could never remember her real name, so we just called her Cardinal Woman. We were kids, so we didn't think anything else of it. Um, I can't tell you how many times I walked out onto our porch and she was nude out in her yard. And all you could see is just this... <laughs> this white figure over here, and you're trying not to look too hard because it's a little disturbing and everything. And she lived far enough that you couldn't really make out any details, praise the Lord. <laughs> but this became such a normal thing that, like, you know, we would go outside and, oh, there's Cardinal Woman. But when our friends came over, they're like, oh, my gosh, do you all see that? We're like, what? Oh, yeah, that's just Cardinal Woman. She's always naked, right? So that's kind of how it is. Like, you have someone... Uh, and that's how it is in, in, uh, in the Decapolis, which is where all of this is taking place. Um, you have this man who is not behaving normally, right? Jesus comes onto the scene. He casts out the demon. And then you have a herd of 2,000 pigs run into the water and are drowned, uh, which is a pretty phenomenal story. I wonder how long it would take for 2,000 pigs to make it into the lake deep enough so that they could drown. You know, they must have been standing there watching it for a little bit, like... Man, are all of these pigs going to do? So anyway, <clears throat> um, we're going to pick it up uh, back in 14, verse 14. It says that those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, listen to this. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. I don't know about you, but naked guy running around in the cemeteries, cutting himself, or cutting himself, breaking chains, howling at the moon, all this stuff. I'm a little freaked out about that, okay? That's enough to kind of get me on edge. A guy sitting there dressed in his right mind, not so much, okay? I'm not, I'm not really afraid of this guy. But what's happened here? These people have, and, and just imagine that this is like your life, okay? So these people have, have lived life with this person for so long that it wasn't strange anymore. They, they had learned uh, whenever you walk by the cemetery, you cover your kids' eyes so they don't have to see you. Uh, 
you're, you've probably, men, you've probably been some of the men that have had to volunteer to go and try to chain him up and bind him again, all this stuff. Uh, you learn how to fall asleep at night with this guy outside your house crying out and everything. And eventually, like, oh, yeah, it's just the, the crazy guy in the cemetery. So what's happened is that their concept of normal had shifted so much that when they saw him dressed and in his right mind, they were afraid that this isn't normal anymore. When in reality, that is normal. This wasn't normal, right? They had just grown so accustomed to what was abnormal that it became normal in their lives. And I believe that the same thing has happened in our society, where there are so many things that, that are just wrong. They're not normal. They're not right. But we've become so calloused and so used to them that we look at them and we're like, oh, yeah, well, that's just this problem. Or that's just that type of movie. Or that's just that struggle that all men have. Or girls just talk about each other behind each other's backs. It's, girls are catty. That's what they do. And this, this whole thing has just become normal. Even within the church, uh, <laughs> Katie would hate it if I shared this, but I'm going to share it anyway because <laughs> she's not here. Um, so I talked about this in Chi Alpha uh, not long ago, and I don't normally talk about stuff like this, but as an example, uh, I just made mention of how my wife and I make love on occasion. And you should have seen everyone's faces. Like, they couldn't believe what I said. One girl is over there flipping through the Bible, and I'm thinking, like, she's wondering if what I'm doing is okay. I know she is. She's like, how do I get the songs of Solomon? <laughs> That's probably where I'll find any instruction on this. <laughs> but I asked them, like, isn't it strange that whenever, that, like, we can sit in front of a movie and see things that are suggestive or inappropriate, and it's not really that big of a deal, but whenever someone talks about this covenant of marriage and us interacting with each other within the covenant of God intimately, all of a sudden, like, we're embarrassed and we're freaked out and we don't know what to do with our hands, and so we turn to the Bible and start flipping the Songs of Solomon. <clears throat> or even within the church, when someone is laying prostrate in the ground, crying out to God, and people are like, I don't know, is this normal or is, it, is this a bad spirit? I want to use an example. I used the entertainment industry earlier as an example, um, or just now as an example. <clears throat> I want you to think about some of the movies that are coming out in, in Hollywood, right? Um, some of the movies that are produced. Now, there are, only, there are only a couple that Katie and I would look at and say, yeah, let's go watch Zootopia or something like that. For the most part, I wouldn't watch any of these movies with my mother, okay? Um, <clears throat> But isn't it a little bit reflective of the condition of our society that for us to be entertained, we have to constantly feed ourselves with the things that God despises? Think about the types of movies that come out where they're filled with, like, if you want someone to watch it, there has to be violence, there has to be sex, there has to be something suggestive, there has to be a little bit of evil, Man, even think about horror movies that come out, which I think are just completely, like, have such a demonic spirit. Um, how, how 
far have we gone as a society where we're entertained by the things that God despises? And I wish it wasn't true of us. But even if we're not talking about R-rated movies, like <clears throat> uh, I had a student uh, a couple of weeks ago was sharing with me about video games. And he said, there's this particular video game uh, that he's been playing for, for a while now. Uh, and this game has a feature where you can look and see how much time you've spent playing this game. So he looks it up, and he was amazed at what he saw. Over, I think it was like 2,000 and something odd hours he had spent playing this game, which that's, he calculated, he played over 90 days of this game straight. Like that's what it would boil down to. Consecutive playing time. And he, he was sharing with us and, he said, guys, I'm just ashamed. I, could, I couldn't believe what I had done. Well, what he was most ashamed of and really what, what it came down to is video games had become an idol in his life. Where it wasn't just about, you know, playing a game a little bit here and there, but he had some problems going on. He was, he was dealing with loneliness. And so in order to escape from that stuff, he turned to video games. And see, that's, that's in essence what idolatry is, is looking at something in search of what we should really be finding in God, right? And so he was looking to video games to find a sense of peace that really he should have been finding in God. Uh, and I can't tell you guys how many times, like, and I'm sure we all do this, where we come home from work, and I'm like, oh, I'm just so tired, I just want to turn my brain off for a little bit, sit in front of the TV, watch a little Netflix or something like that, couple episodes go by, watch, there's the up next, and you just don't do anything, you let it go to the up next, and before you know it, you've watched about an hour and a half of TV, um, and honestly, like, it sounds strange to talk about this, because most of us are like, yeah, but it's, you know, it's just a little bit of TV here and there, and it's not even bad TV, like, Katie and I, we watch Andy Griffith a lot, and, and so, like, there's nothing bad at all that ever happens in Andy Griffith, um, Except people are surprisingly unfaithful to women in Andy Griffith. I didn't know that, but <laughs> they are. <laughs> um, I want to I wanna read something to you guys. Uh, this is a paper. It's called The Great God Entertainment by A.W. Tozer. Uh, and I'm just going to read a couple of uh, excerpts from this. So follow along with me uh, with your ears, because <laughs> I don't have anything on screen. He writes, a German philosopher many years ago said something to the effect that the more a man has in his own heart, the less he will require from the outside. Excessive need for support from without is proof of the bankruptcy of the inner man. If this is true, and I believe it is, then the present inordinate attachment to every form of inter entertainment is evidence that the inner life of modern man is in serious decline. The average man has no central core or moral assurance, no spring within his breast, no inner strength to place him above the need for repeated psychological shots to give him the courage to go on living. He has become a parasite on the world, drawing his life from his environment, unable to live a day apart from the stimulation which society affords him. This philosopher held that the feeling of dependence lies at the root of all religious worship. So the feeling of dependence lies at the root of all religious worship and that however high the spiritual life might rise, it must always begin with a deep sense of a need which only God could satisfy. It's true, isn't it? 
If this sense of need and a feeling of dependence are at the root of natural religion, it is not hard to see why the great God entertainment with a capital E is so ardently worshipped by so many. For there are millions who cannot live without amusement. Life without some form of entertainment for them is simply intolerable. They look forward to the blessed, blessed relief afforded by professional entertainers and other forms of psychological narcotics as a dope addict looks to his daily shot of heroin. Without them, they cannot summon courage to face existence. No one with common human feeling will object to the simple pleasures of life, nor to such harmless forms of entertainment as may help to relax the nerves and refresh the mind exhausted by toil. Such things, if used with discretion, may be a blessing along the way. That is one thing. The all-out devotion to entertainment as a major activity for which and by which men live is definitely something else again. The abuse of a harmless thing is the essence of sin. The growth of the amusement phase of human life to, uh, of human life to such fantastic proportions is a portent a threat to the souls of more modern men. It has been built into a multi, it says multi-million, but it's really a multi-billion dollar racket with greater power over human minds and human character than any other educational influence on earth. And the ominous thing is that its power is almost exclusively evil, rotting the inner life, and I love this part, crowding out the long eternal thoughts which would fill the souls of men if they were but worthy to entertain them. And the whole thing has grown into a veritable religion which holds its devotees with a strange fascination and a religion, incidentally, against which it is now dangerous to speak. It becomes dangerous to talk about someone else's idol. It becomes, man, when we talk about this in, uh, in Chi Alpha, like, you start seeing a lot of like heads turning, like, what are you saying? What are you implying? And think about that. If it wasn't an idol, would, would we really react that way? It would be more of a response of, okay, well, it's just entertainment. I think that is proof that entertainment has become an idol to many of us, and, and not just within the world, but even, even within this room. <clears throat> uh, he goes on and talks about how entertainment has even infiltrated the, the, the church and how, uh, let me see if I can find that real quick. Uh, for centuries, the church stood solidly against every form of worldly entertainment, recognizing, recognizing it for what it was, a device for wasting time, a refuge from the disturbing voice of conscience, a scheme to divert attention from moral accountability. For this, she got herself abused roundly by the sons of this world, but of late, she has become tired of the abuse and has given over the struggle. She appears to have decided that if she cannot conquer the great God entertainment, she may as well join forces with him and make what use she can of his powers. And he goes on to say that it's, it's impossible to do. Um, the thing is, uh, there's a part in here where Tozer says, you know, there's, there's a type of entertainment that is recreational and, you know, it's, it's okay, it's permissible. But 
the thing is, if, if I were to say, you know, not all of us are called to lay this stuff down. Like, we can still have it. Those of us who are relieved are probably the ones that it's become an idol to. If it's easy to give up, then it's not an idol. If it's hard to give up, maybe it has become an idol. And maybe something that, that was never intended to become normal in our lives has become such a normal part of our lives that we can't even recognize it for what it is anymore. That's just entertainment. It's just a little bit of TV. But is there anything underlying in us watching TV? Are we escaping from reality when we watch TV? Are we trying to find peace after a busy day when turning to TV? And not just TV, but like Facebook, like getting that thumb workout, you know, scrolling through your phone on Facebook, or the internet, or whatever it is, video games. Have we, have we, have we looked at something that God has never intended to be normal and said, oh, this is just, this is how it is in my life. Of course, like, we're not just talking about entertainment. That's only one example. Like, worry, fear, stress, unforgiveness, bitterness, insecurities, gossip. This is what I've been feeling about, or feeling convicted about recently. It's complaining. I've been getting really busy lately, and I've been complaining about my busyness. And oh, I'm just ready for, really not even the summer, because the summer's going to be busy too. But I'm just ready for a break, a little bit of time for myself and all of that. And the other, uh, the other week, I was thinking about all the things I was complaining about. Um, you know, we have, this is the end of the semester, so things are really busy right now, closing up the semester. We have a lot of, like, last Chi Alphas, last leadership, stuff like that. Um, we're closing on a house this week. Um, so, anyway, I start thinking about these things that I'm complaining about. I'm like, who am I to complain about this stuff? This is all stuff I've been praying for. Like, I've been praying to find a house. I've been praying for God to move on this campus. Why am I complaining? And God, God has shown me that what the word says is that the wages of sin is death. What we have earned because of our sin is death, which means that anything that is above that is really only by the grace of God. To complain about our lives is entitlement. It's to say, God, I deserve more than what I have. When in reality, we're not recognizing that we don't deserve anything at all. The fact that I... Even if I didn't have a house that I'm closing on, even if I lived in a box, the fact that I have a box is more than I deserve, you know? But these are things that just become so common in our lives that the Holy Spirit has to convict us for us to even look at it and say, oh, that's what that is. That's what that's become in my life. <clears throat> so my question to you guys, uh, or for you guys, is if you're to consider your own life, does it look more familiar to the world or to the kingdom of God? Another, another way to ask that, if someone who didn't know Jesus was to follow you around for a day and look at your life and 
know everything about like what you're thinking, how you're feeling, and all that. Would it seem weird to them? Would it seem strange? Would they say, man, that's not really normal? And it should, right? The word says that, uh, that we're not to conform to the patterns of this world, but we're, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so just like this man was transformed by Jesus, we should be transformed as well. And the things of this world should not be normal in our lives anymore. The things of the kingdom of God should be normal in our lives. And this is why uh, I want you to go back to where we left off. I think it was uh, 15. Sorry, 16. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Let me ask you this. What other point in the Gospels does someone say, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, and Jesus says, sorry, <laughs> no, stay here. Uh, like, there's not enough room in the boat for you, sir. I guess I could walk, but you know, there's just not enough room for you. <clears throat> more, even more interesting to me is that Jesus just arrived. Like, if, if you follow along in the story, he lands on shore. Immediately, this demon-possessed man comes to him. This whole thing happens where he casts out the demon, uh, the pigs drown. Then people come and say, hey, we want you to leave. And he says, without any objection, okay. Gets in the boat, and he starts leaving again. Why? Because his work had already been done. He just traveled across the entire lake to get here, has one encounter with a man, and then says, this is good enough. I can go now. But before he goes, he says, now you go into all of Decapolis and tell everyone what has happened in your life, what I've done. If you're faithful to do this, I'm not even, I don't even have to go into the Decapolis to spread the culture of the kingdom of God. Because you will. What, what Jesus says is whenever he's teaching us how to pray, he says that we should be praying for heaven to come on earth, or for heaven, what is it? Uh, <laughs> your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Jesus' desire is for the, the culture of the kingdom of God to transform our culture, right? But it's not going to happen without us. Like, we can, we can pray and pray and everything for the University of Alabama to not become a party school anymore. But until some students live differently and then go and tell others why they live differently, nothing's going to happen. You know, we can, we can ask for more influence in schools and in this community and in our workplace, but unless we're being transformed and the culture of the kingdom of God is being seen in our lives, nothing's going to happen. So, like I said, for a lot of us, that, that means laying things down. It means letting go of the things that have become idols. And if it's hard, there might be an indication that it's a real idol. But whatever it is, it's not worth holding on to. 
what, uh, what the student with the video games uh, realized. He was trying to escape from something that couldn't provide any freedom, or like escape to something that couldn't provide any freedom for him. Only Jesus could provide freedom. All of these idols, they just really keep us in bondage to what we're really going through. Like, going on break from school, I, I think in college students, so I'm sorry, but like whenever, uh, or even whenever you come home from work and you're watching TV as a way to kind of turn everything off and be distracted for a little bit, when you turn the TV off, are you really distracted? Has anything changed? Not really. If anything, we're more exhausted after we watch TV. We're more tired, Right? Because those things don't set us free. Only Jesus does. So that's the hope that we have, that, man, it might be hard to lay this down. It might not even, it might not even make sense to people if I say I'm not watching TV this year. But, you know, I don't need to watch TV. I found everything I need right here in Jesus. And maybe we could be a more like, a little bit more like Ian whenever whenever, uh, like, we don't care what it's going to cost. We don't care what the risk is. We're so desperate for Christ that it doesn't matter what we have to leave behind in order to reach him. So let's pray. God, I pray that, that if there's anything that's entangling us, God, that we would throw it off, that we wouldn't conform ourselves to the patterns of this world, but we would, we would take a look at what your word says about the kingdom of God. And if there's anything that doesn't line up with how we live our lives and how your kingdom of God or how your kingdom uh, is expressed in your word, then, man, let us, let us not hold on to anything in order to reach the standard that you set for us, God. We want your culture to be present in our lives, not just for our own sakes, on, for our own sake, but so that your kingdom can come through us. Because I really believe that you want to do incredible things through this church, through this people, uh, but in order for you to do it through us, it has to be done in us first. So Lord, bring conviction. We don't want to hold on to anything anymore that's going to keep us from walking in the fullness of what you have for us, God. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, God.